Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello, you wonderful listener. Jimmy and I couldn't be happier about how the Cryptic Creator Corner has grown this year. We just passed our 80th episode with the Comic Book Yeti Ice Awards, and you're about to listen to our last podcast of 2022. It's been quite a ride, and we hope that we've gotten a little better at this along the way. Hopefully you've enjoyed the ad-free December, and we just wanted to take a quick moment to wish you and yours a very blessed New Year. Thank you for listening. This is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and your host for this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. Today, I'm sitting down today with Benjamin Shipper to talk about his new original graphic novel, Joe Death and the Graven Image from Dark Horse Comics. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I got a chance to to catch up on the the advanced copy that, that you had sent for me, and I got to say, Joe Death is all kinds of cool. I absolutely loved it. You know, for me, it has a kind of a visual appeal of a hybrid of like Mike Mignola meets Kyle Starks with the artistic stylings, you know, and it's a kind of a pulp Western hybrid story that would feel at home and, you know, a classic like Weird Tales magazine. So for the uninitiated, give me your your elevator pitch for the project. Yeah. um, Joe Death and the Graven Image is about a skeleton named Joe um, who wanders around the desert uh, burying the dead. And uh, when we... Uh, meet him. He sees himself as this, as a grave digger, and that's all he kind of sees himself as. So when he's asked to uh, rescue a little child, a little baby, from some evil bandits, he um, denies the call. He he walks away. Um, it's out of his jurisdiction, essentially. And um, what the book deals with largely is whether uh, life uh, is whether Joe, a personification of death, is out of life's jurisdiction um so there's a, a a lot of play between uh fear and faith and um uh you know being scared and being courageous or um scarcity versus abundance uh, these are type of themes uh behind what i hope is a very fun uh cartoon adventure well i want to download your brain because there, there's this story has a whole lot in in it you know um Let's start though with kind of for me the prose in it. There's there's freaking poetry in here, man. Like actual actual poetry, which is not something that I am immediately associate kind of with comics in general. So um, it's a kind of kind of struck me as a bit fringe, but like in a very refreshing way. So so why do you want to go about constructing it that way? Yeah, I, I uh, so I'm largely coming I'm largely coming from a place that is not comics. So I I'm primarily influenced by um, movies and literature, um, and I think the, I think the poetry. Um, I love Ray Bradbury. I was in sixth grade, I think, and um, we read a little short story of the Martians, the Martian Chronicles, and then I read Fahrenheit four fifty one, and just the way, you know, it. He's writing so poetically. It's a prose novel, but he's doing a lot of things with English, with our language that is just. Um, so powerful and meaningful and, um, you know, the opposite of sort of pedantic explanatory. Um, so yeah, he, he's a big influence on my, uh, my love for poetry. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And then obviously Tolkien and uh, Tolkien. (laughs) For sure. Well, they're, they're a little bit different than what I would consider like a traditional, like segment breaks, you know, in between issues, if you will, issues is a little bit of a misnomer because it's a graphic novel, but um, you kind of have a single monochrome tombstone with a particular animal motif along with a, a, a short poem. So, you know, why, why, why did you break things up quite like that? Cause it's kind of unique. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Before. That's a, that's a great question. I, I, lo- I love, I love to answer that. Um, so when I, 
I am kind of new to comics. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to get as uh, much up to speed as I can. Um, and it has taken me a while to do this book. And so I've had the time too. And I've thought a lot about um, just book publication and what is, a, what is a book? What is a comic book? I feel like comics are very in between a novel and a movie. And, um, and so I thought about the format of just what a book is. And uh, I, 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 think, I think certain comic uh, authors, uh, cartoonists, go towards movie. So they, they sort of bleed all throughout the page. There's no white. Um, it's very cinematic. Uh, and I wanted to kind of go towards uh, more of a literary um, publication. Um, so uh, those chapter breaks, which it, it was actually intended to be a, a, a serialized um, comic book. Okay. Um, but Dark Horse wanted to do uh, a graphic novel. But, and so I just kept those chapters and then um, played with that type of um, break um, as being just, <clears throat> you know, a, a nice way to set up a chapter and actually title the chapter. Um, and so there's, there's, uh, page numbers along the bottom, which I don't find a lot in comic books. Yeah. Excuse me. And, uh, I really feel like I, I want that to be in the comic book. And so I have those down there and also the chapter heading on the right side of, um, page top, uh, and also the book title, which is very, it's, it's very paperback, uh, in, in that, um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. 100%. I mean, it, again, it, it was one of those elements that did echo so many things that I grew up with. You know, I grew up reading, you know, the aforementioned Weird Tales. I love authors like Fritz Leiber or Manly Wade Wellman. I don't know if you're familiar with either or both of them. Yeah, Fritz Leiber. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of you know, masters of creating a, a new mythology, if you will, in their work with like a slower paced narrative reveal. Um, so you mentioned Ray Bradbury, you know, where were you pulling from in terms of world building? Um, so world building, um, that's a good question. So, and, uh, I think, well, Tolkien is sort of the granddaddy of, um, world building, I think in, uh, in our modern world. Um, and I think he was pulling from the Christian narrative. Um, he was, you know, a devout Catholic, uh, person, uh, and his cosmology of the world and through the Silmarillion is, um, is, you know, it's, it's like a lift from Genesis or the Bible essentially. And so i I feel like I tried to write this story without a, a cosmology, without a sort of a creation myth or creation story. Sure. And, um, and I, I didn't writing without that. I didn't have the the things that I needed to tell a deeper story, and so I needed to uh, build that type of framework um, and have you know a classic uh, start to things. And so yeah, very very much Tolkien, um, but then also going back further, the Bible, um, you know, Paradise Lost with John Milton, and um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so lacking some of the those world building characteristics is that one reason you kind of went with the western overlay because it there's so many echoes that just immediately come to mind when you, you think about you know a classic western story yeah i i um i think i think the where the hat came from where joe's hat and sort of i feel like that's actually possibly the only uniquely western thing in the book um and uh and i'm not necessarily like a, a diehard western fan i certainly like a few um and uh but i think i think there's a, a sort of a continental timestamp that some artists have like uh, for instance miyazaki is uh very japanese like mm -hmm. is and you want that you want him to be a, a representative of of his culture and his world and um, Mobius is uh, very French, and there's a certain. He, I feel like he set the he set the tone for what French comics are, um, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think I think just thinking, and also for instance, Pixar, they're very American. Um, 
like for instance uh toys <laughs> you know the, you know starting out with a toy store movie it's like Amer american kids are we buy toys we you know we we are um we are a capitalistic society and so you know these things are just everywhere um but so for instance so looking at those people and creators i thought about just where am i and what am, what am i and I, i'm an american <laughs> and so going back into our own history um just as far as aesthetics really um i thought would be uh a good a good thing to do uh, but yeah after after sort of writing it, it did uh lend itself to a, a little bit of a deeper uh, prehistory than just sort of a, a western uh kind of gun six shooter kind of per, uh character yeah it's kind of fascinating because here you talk about okay well it's, it's not really western and i guess that that classic western sensibility or where i got from it was this sense of space um mm -hmm. And and that is just the the movement of you know the characters from from one place to another we classically associate in in our Western culture with just with space because we're used to thinking of density and cities and you know it gives so much more room for exposition. So so how did you use space you know in this story? Yeah, that's um, that's awesome. I I wish I had used it better. Actually, I feel like I feel like a lot of times I didn't have um uh, a great setup for certain for certain uh shots like i want to move the camera back i want to uh get better at drawing architecture and landscape um i think i think i accomplished it in some aspects here but yeah that that type of um that type of wild space where there is um it does seem to be uniquely kind of of the western genre where there, we don't have you know satellites orbiting us that can target our our position and, and track our cell phones and um, and uh, so the the lawman and the the bandit are the classic you know they, they seem to be um, they seem to be equally uh, they seem to be equal as far as their strengths um, but but as far as the art um, thinking about space I I do like uh, Mike Mignola is actually a very, very big influence, uh, which you nailed. And um, his his mythology and character goes goes down downwards into hell, <laughs> you know. Um, and so there's not a lot of sky. Anytime you see a Mignola um, page with sky, you can tell like it's not what he necessarily wants to draw. Right I, my opinion. Um, and so I think uh, that was appealing to me to go court, sort of ground up um and think about uh the heavens essentially um i think yeah the gradients played a lot into this book and which i didn't start out with it was very very flat um i like how um dave stewart colors uh uh hellboy but um being a western and having that giant open sky felt really important and um so i had to figure out how to make that make make you feel that <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think the the shadow details are where the, the the most obvious comparison that people are going to immediately find with a, a Magnola, um, trying to compare the two um, with the typically blockier, less nuance, you know, um, more reliant on the the color detail to kind of amplify the tones in any given any given pal uh, panel. So it, it's hard for me to kind of encapsulate a distinct color palette uh to to this work as a whole you know it's visually direct um clearly you like gradient filters mm -hmm. um you know so so how do you how did you approach coloring you know is it a panel by panel page by page it's, it's one of those things that that makes this particular book stand out in my mind okay yeah um yeah the color i feel like i feel like it took me as long as drawing the book but maybe that's that's probably not true because i i redrew the book a few times actually um I think the color holds were the most important thing about this book where um if you're I'm not a painter but I I did study a little bit of painting and there's a atmospheric perspective and we all know what this is when you you're driving and you see a mountain that is blue in the distance and the closer you get to it it it's not blue it's it's just the color of trees and rocks um but it's very important for you to 
you know, it, we since we all experienced that, uh, I had to figure out a way to do that in a comic book that is a 2D uh, medium without a lot of rendering um, because my style isn't much rendering. And so color holds, uh, I think, were the most important aspect um, about, you know, pushing um, pushing things into depth. And um, and then, yeah, having gradients, uh, you know, with it, with it even on top of those uh, color holes. So, for instance, mountains, um, you know, fading out the bottom of the mountains um, that are... Uh, held with that that blue color against a blue uh blue sky it's it's very like subtle i think i tried to try to be as subtle as possible um to recreate a, an idea of atmosphere yeah i i really enjoyed um there are particular scenes where uh it's pink um and, and the use of pink although not not literal i mean coming from you know a, a photography background i'm I'm all about the taking liberties with skies and stuff, but um, that was that was one that that really just jumped out to me was that use of pink because I was like, wow, okay, this is this is really cool. Yeah, I liked it. Cool, yeah, um, yeah. I think I, I listened to a lot of um, cartoonist kayfabe, um, and uh, Jim, um, what's his last name? I'm blanking on his last name. Um, Jim Rugg uh, is always talking about how books shouldn't be uh, brown. <laughs> and uh, at the time, I feel like I, I was doing a little bit more of uh, you know grittier, sort of earthy tones. Like, oh, yep. no, I think I need to I need to try something different. And I really did like having those you know hot hot points in and just color, and they can they are really evocative. I think I think Mignola talks about it as being sort of the soundtrack to his work, um, which I find it, I found really valuable. Well, it sounds like you were sort of teaching yourself to color throughout this process so did you find that from front to back things changed all that much or did you really like, okay you got through it and you're like oh what i did earlier that was nah, i need to fix that that's just not going to work yeah absolutely um so i i started this book in uh let's see 2017 and uh i was just i was just trying to cut my teeth doing a, a comic. I, I wanted to, I was coming from uh, kind of kids books and just illustrating um, for other people's manuscripts. And I wanted to uh, write my own thing. And it just happened to be a, more of a comic. And so I was just trying to cut my teeth on drawing a comic. And so I got first issue out and then uh, showed that to a few people at different conventions. And I think there were good responses, but I, there, people didn't seem excited about it and I wasn't as excited about it either after doing it. And I thought I can, I can do better. And so I probably redid the first chapter, I think total of like four times. Okay. Um, and then I got to like chapter three next time. And then I didn't really like it at that point. So I went back and did uh, chapter three and onwards. And I actually finished the six chapters and we were going to publish it. Dark Horse was going to publish it in 2020. Right. Um, at the end of 2020. And I, I announced that on my Instagram. And then COVID hit. And uh, it felt like the entire world was done. <laughs> um, I, was, I, I had no idea what was going to happen next. So I just decided to draw it all over again. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, like the gestation period of the story and the color and the drawing uh was like massive and um yeah i wish that were more possible for comic artists um because in a, in a writing context for prose novels that's just you know that's of course you, of course you're going to have five drafts you know uh, mm -hmm. or more um and so yeah it's it was really valuable to have that that time um to learn everything <laughs> and to work through it yeah yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. You you were clearly interested in creating something that was kind of entirely new and non derivative, um, which the afterward pretty much summed up, which I thought was really interesting. So the quote from that that really stood out: "The big box story factories are pumping out content in surprising quantities. Their qualities bleached out, bled dry, shrink wrapped for the convenience of the global market, 
do not satisfy me. So, okay, point taken, you know, um, gauntlet dropped, right? Um, you started this in, on your own Patreon, I, I believe. So, so how did it end up with, with Dark Horse ultimately? Yeah, I, um, so I was in uh, New York City. My wife and I moved there just for a year from 2017 to 2018. And um, at that point, I was doing just my, my absolutely first uh, finished comic, which was for Jim Henson. It was um, uh, one of the storyteller um, mm-hmm. serials. And uh, so at that point, it, I was like, okay, I'm in New York City. If, if I can't sell, if I can't sell an idea or a book here, I can't, I, I can't do it anywhere. So, um, so I was really active just trying, I went to um, a few conventions there and just trying to meet people and um, just throwing out lines everywhere, going to um, as many shows and um, talking to people um, as much as I could. And I think just through a few connections, I just got um, got a few things. Uh, I was starting to talk to Boom Studios about uh, a few things. Okay. And um, they didn't want uh, Joe Death. Um, they wanted another idea that I had. And then... Um, uh, first second, um, I had, I had shown stuff to first second, uh, books as well. And they didn't want Joe death as well. They picked a different one, um, which I'm actually working on currently, but, um, I, and I left, you know, and I was happy that I got, had some attention and I had something going, but then I thought I just, I have to finish this. I have to finish this one first. I have to finish Joe death first. Um, just to know if I can even finish a graphic novel. So I waited a little bit longer and just uh, talked to more people and got Dark Horse on the line and they were, they were interested in publishing it. Um, and it went from there. And it went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with that sentiment, you know, what, what are you seeing missing kind of, and I don't disagree with the sentiment, honestly. <laughs> so, what are you seeing missing in kind of the the modern comics genre that's kind of making you respond that way? Yeah, um, this is just me being curious. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Uh, and actually, that kind of um, a diatribe at the end, or, or sort of the the call to action, as far as like an independent yeah. creator versus uh, the big box, you know, kind of um, uh, entertainment studios, is more directed at actually at, at film and TV and, and like, okay. let's say, you know, the mouse house. Um, I, but, uh, I, I suppose certain comics like, uh, you know, companies like Marvel or DC could, could fit in as well. Um, and I just, I just think the personal aspect of, uh, one person, uh, writing and drawing a story, um, can't be, be beat. Um, and I think, I think there are, very, very well-intentioned people at all, at all companies doing entertainment. And I'm glad that they have jobs. And, um, uh, I just, I think it was when, uh, the Hobbit came out and, uh, and those movies just were like, you know, they just seemed to run off the rails, um, as far as, uh, an adaptation from a a solid book. Um, and it, and it just left me kind of wondering, like, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies were excellent. And, and I think it was because they stayed so close to the source material. Um, and I, and I love those DVDs and the behind the scenes, uh, talk of, of all of that. And, um, and the Hobbit just doesn't compare, uh, on many levels to those earlier adaptations. Um, and so I think, I think I was getting very frustrated by being a fan of, of things, uh, or of characters. And then seeing them done in not the ways that I I would like to see, and and it, and it became very um, it, it it I wasn't going in a good direction just by complaining about it all the time to my friends and my wife. Like it was you know uh, it was not good, and so I you know it, I didn't have anywhere else to sort of put my attention except um, towards my own my own writing and my own creation of a of a kind of a world. Um, yeah, I think it's a. I think the dissatisfaction is just. A, um, I think it is a modern, um, modern idea that stories can be. Um, 
I just don't know how many how many stories have been told by a, a, a great stories have been told by a, a committee, you know, in in, in session. Um, I, pro- there probably are like there are writing rooms, I know, and so. But but certainly this is my my um, call to action for people that want a little bit more of a personal uh, story, and I and I kind of feel that that's really the strength of comic books is that ability to just be one or two people. And just, you know, if you can do it, you can do it and someone will publish it. Um, yeah. Well, do you enjoy that, that pocket of having total creative control or sometimes wish like with, with this project, like, man, could I just draw the thing and let somebody else take the wheel? Like with this other stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I did feel that. Uh, and I do feel that, uh, still. And I think that I would like to draw for. Uh, someone else in, in in the future. Um, I just I just I think I care what I, about what I draw possibly more, and so I just didn't see anyone or know anyone that was going to write the story I wanted to tell, um, and so I so I just sort of figured out how to how to write. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, and through that actually that's potentially you know in the in the story that I wrote is uh, just struggling against fear and. Um, trying to trying to live <laughs> and grow into into life. Well, talk to me about your artistic process. Are you creating primarily using traditional tools these days, or are you using tablets? You know. Yeah, I love. Um, well, it I, it was a decision to use traditional media to draw as much as I could because um, I knew that I wasn't going to paint it traditionally, and so I, I knew there was this big long half of of doing color. Um, and just sitting in front of the computer all the time, uh, from start to finish just seemed like death to me. And so I, I just, yeah, I just draw with a pencil. Um, and I use a lot of, uh, um, it's not tracing paper, it's, um, bond paper, layout bond paper, uh, which is kind of a vellum surface. And then, um, I'll just do as many layers as I need, um, to get, you know, I block in the shapes. Um, and, uh, and then just, just refine it after a few layers. And then the final layer is, um, marker paper, which is a really, uh, smooth translucent, um, paper. Uh, and so I don't have to do a backlight or anything. So I can just draw really, you know, kind of effortlessly at that stage. Um, and it's really clean, (laughs) kind of a neat freak. And so I get those lines down. And um, and then I'd scan that into Photoshop and um, do all the the blacks, <clears throat> all the inks and the colors there. Okay, yeah, I was kind of fascinated by that because uh, I was going to ask, you know, what is particularly satisfying about you know still working with physical paper, pencils, marker, you know, yeah, those kinds of things um, over the ease. I'm always just sort of fascinated yeah. with that process and and thought process. It, it sounds like you're a bit meticulous, so that may just answer that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's like everything. It's like it's like the smell of wood shavings and uh, graphite and um, paper and like yeah. It's it's like yeah. It, it, any any young artist like having it in between the roads, like I think I think a hybrid is always always the best uh, that you can do, um, just for your own your own health, um, like not looking at a screen or in the same posture and that back and forth, I think is really nice. Um, but, but yeah, feeling just, just feeling all that, you know, um, tradition of, uh, of paper and pencil and ink. And I think it's, you know, it's in all of the images of an artist studio. Um, and of course, you know, anyone can do what they want. Um, but I particularly respond well to those type of images of, um, you know, seeing what type of, uh, desk that person draws on or what they use and um, their their physical space. What do you really hate drawing? Oh man. <laughs> uh, I gotta say probably probably horses. Um, and and you'll notice I, I kind of everybody get, hates horses. Yeah. And I kind of get rid of the one uh, that uh, Joe rides <laughs> pretty soon into the comic. Um, but yeah I there's there's a lot of things I I feel like I can't draw well, um, but I definitely don't try to I don't try to avoid things um, 
just because I, I think that's against the the road of growth. I think um, there's one one artist that I, I've heard talking. Uh, I don't know, it's years ago probably, but um, he draws buildings really well in Manhattan. Um, probably Spider Man, and uh, someone asks him, you know, you must draw these really well, or, or you must really enjoy drawing uh, windows and buildings and and that kind of thing. And the guy was like, I hate it. Uh, absolutely hate it, but the effect is what I want. And so I think that was, that was super helpful for me to kind of push down any, any kind of gut reaction to like, Oh, I'm not going to draw that or, Oh, I won't, I won't draw that. <laughs> well, you don't like horses. And so that makes, uh, makes some sense in, in, with respect to choice of sidekick for Joe in the book. Um, I really enjoyed this kind of microculture that you've created around bugs, you know, especially blue, the sidekick. So um, it's a very clever kind of inward narrative element, and it gives you a way to kind of expound on the story in, in, in different ways. And this like um, uh, very minute, you know, dialing the lens down, if you will, kind of way. Are you really into bugs? Like, why? <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah, yeah getting getting more more into bugs uh these days but no i um i love uh i love the odd things in early animation like um for instance uh was it cinderella where i feel like a large uh attention is uh on the mice and the birds and <laughs> and and um i feel like that in let's say dumbo too um with a little mouse it kind of kind of uh riles dumbo up um, and it, Jiminy Cricket, all these kinds of smaller conscience ideas are, uh, are there in classic animation. Um, and so that's, that's really what it was. It was like this affection for smaller, you know, smaller, cute drawing, you know, animals. Um, uh, like there's also an instance in Tom and Jerry, and I don't know what episode it is, but there's one where uh Jerry the mouse goes into this um it's like a spy theme and he goes into this like cigar store indian he like taps the boot there's a little elevator that shoots him up to the top and like you know he he goes into this his uh spy lab and then um you know he infiltrates uh Tom's evil evil lair and that kind of stuff i just think is uh so fun and i wanted to to do that um in this book and it just kind of it did it did seem natural it, it didn't seem um it seemed natural just having a conscience type of character um to be with a uh you know a metaphorical death figure yeah i was gonna kind of ask you how blue as a character helped you to balance joe out yeah um yeah just i i think it's i think I think it's just a part of all of us that we're always having conversations with, uh, our, we might say our conversations with ourselves, but I think they're, they're more or less conversations with our father or mother or brother or sister or friend or, uh, the news anchor that you didn't agree with or, uh, the movie that you didn't like, or, uh, the book that you read in sixth grade, like we're constantly, you know, there's a lot happening in everyone's, mind and um and for a comic it seemed clunky to sort of have a monologue of of one character discussing that or having a back and forth with themselves and so the um the moth uh was was just that 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 figure that took the role of um uh of of his i guess internal thoughts or um it's hard to explain. I, I actually don't know how to explain it. Um, and I think that's part of the, part of the charm <laughs> uh, of, of me, not me, not knowing and sort of figuring out as we go. Sure. Yeah. When you were fleshing out the visuals for the world you also needed to, to populate it with at least some sort of antagonist or antagonists, but there's a, um, a skill to crafting something scary. You know, there's, there's multiple ways to kind of go about doing it. Um, yours I love because it felt like it could have been ripped out of an illustrated folklore volume, you know, from 150 years ago. Um, 
one of the things I distinctly noticed was a use of exaggerated portions as part of that toolkit. You know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Roth, but there were like some Ed Roth sort of flavors in there. So, you know, why, where does that come from? You know, how, how did you go about trying to create, you know, that, that sense of mystery, you know, with, with just a little bit of note of horror in there with, with the different antagonists? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, well, it's a good question. I think um, the the silent kind of episode that sort of kicks off the adventure. I think it's like six six pages of silence, maybe less. Um, but uh, that just seemed to be the more the more poetic thing for uh, a bad guy uh, or, or a gang of bad guys to roll into a town and then do their deed. Um, and I and I had written dialogue for uh, the main character. Um, and uh, the main uh, antagonist, and uh, it just it just felt really corny, really cartoony. Um, you know, give us all your money, or we'll shoot you. <laughs> that kind of thing is just like I, I couldn't couldn't really write it well. And I was thinking more of like um, how how what is good horror, and and um, I think uh, like for instance, Alien. It's you know you show as le- less as you, you show as little as possible of the of the bad guy or the, the antagonist and you just, you just naturally will get um, more, um, more fear built up from the, from the audience. Um, and so I, I, I think that's, that was um, as far as the silence of the character. Um, but as far as their, uh, their shape and their look and their design, um, I, I think he's like a, a his name, I don't exactly know. Well, he, I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't. I won't right, yeah, yeah. Sure. Any names, but um, the main character is kind of a cross between uh, a clown and um, and some uh, like uh, spider, like his face. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that sort of insane smile, uh, uh, as far as like the, the Joker, um, I feel like that's always going to be it's always going to be scarier than um, someone who's trying to to be mean <laughs> or to look to look serious or something um yeah. and that, that character is kind of uh uh a tumbleweed in the wind he just sort of is um uh yeah he's he's cut loose from um sort of normal reality well you've been pretty clear that there's more of this story to tell so exactly how deep does the rabbit hole go Where- where do you have ambitions of going with with Joe? Oh man, um, I wanted to go for a very long time. I, uh, I mean, Mignola is my like uh, comic dad, like, and so just seeing all those, I think you know, fourteen or something volumes uh, on the shelf, like that just seems to be the best thing that you can do as a comic creator. And so I did have you know i built the cosmology so i wrote i wrote sort of a a creation story and um all of the all the characters uh after that uh, or maybe not all of them but there's certainly a lot of ground to cover and even in this book we go we go back in the past and um and so uh i'd like it to go as long as possible i think i think it can and i think a lot of things can but I think it can in a continuum. So Hellboy goes in a continuum and there's an end. Um, and that, that's something really satisfying. Um, and I want to do that with, with this character. Okay. Uh, so you have been releasing this on Patreon. So if people pick up the, the graphic novel and they immediately want more, can they get, get more? So, so how does, how does that work for you? Um, so right now, I actually uh, I haven't I haven't shut my Patreon off. I just told everyone like I'm I can't do this anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. We had a uh, we have a two year old now, <clears throat> but um, at the time, Makes it, sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even on Patreon, um, it, it got so far as like I think I was close to finishing the first draft, and so people saw as much as that 
um, but they haven't. No one has seen uh, except for you. <laughs> and if you, oh wow, okay, choice, choice, no special, movie, yeah. Uh, no one has actually seen this version. So as far as um, like uh, continuing to follow my work, um, yeah. my my newsletter, um, you can access through my website benjaminshipper.com and um, my Instagram. Like I, I love uh, whenever I can responding to email and uh, comments and direct messages. I'm not so. I'm not so uh, popular now that I can't, <laughs> I can't have time to do that. So I, I, uh, I do love um, interacting with people that are following my work and are interested in it. So. Yeah. Well, I would be remiss. And I always do this for people who mention dogs in their bios. So I, I have to ask about Willow and is the name inspired by the George Lucas franchise? No. Yeah. It's, it wasn't. Um, she was a little, uh, she actually, she actually passed away a few Aww, months ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, we really miss her. Um, but she was a little black dog, and her um, her ears felt like uh, this, like chamois. Uh, so it's like a, a little piece of leather that we uh, use in um, to sort of uh, push around charcoal uh, in in traditional charcoal drawings. And by the end of my time, like practicing uh, charcoal, the leather was just all black. And, um, so I, I felt her ears and they felt just like that. Um, and so I called her Willow, named her Willow. Um, but yeah, uh, but I am really excited about, uh, the new Willow. I'm hoping the new Willow, um, show is going to be good. Um, I think, I, have you ever read that book? Uh, like George Lucas's, uh, the Chris Claremont shadow moon. Yeah. 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 Have you read it? I'm a little nervous, honestly. Um, because I'm a big fan. Um, I'm a Claremont fan from, from back in the day. And, um, and I always wondered why that continue didn't, it never got developed. I mean, a property that's sat there for what, 30 plus years now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's, there's some apprehension and yet I'm also excited. Um, but I was the same way with the rings of power. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good you like tone to be <laughs> and uh, I'm ready to see what people have to show, but I'm not necessarily just gonna, just gonna love it. Cause it's new, but yeah. It'll be yeah. Interesting. I'm excited about the brownies again. They were like my favorite. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched that first movie recently and I just thought it was wild. Like it was just all, all over the places. It, it felt, it felt really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they will maintain that that sense of it because that was the the thing i enjoyed so much about it as a kid is like it it was rambling and just sort of discoherent but it worked so yeah um can do you mind if i ask you a question of course um and it's about comics you're you know obviously read read a lot of comics i i I actually listened to an episode uh just before coming on and oh, okay. he said maybe you read about three comics a day, three three issues of comics a day. Yes, uh, that's awesome. And and as a new as, you know as a new comic author and someone who's you know I did I did like comics as a kid, but um, really don't have the depth like some other people do. There's there's a lot of me thinking right now. Why do people read comic books? Why do you read comic books when there is so much um, movie material shows? Like, you know, there just seems to be so much content right now that that might be more engaging than a comic book. And um, yeah, I'm just wondering why you. Oh, 100%. Um, so for me, twofold. Um, one, and people who listen to the podcast all the time would be like, oh, God, he's talking about this again. So the quick version of the background is I had a pretty significant medical event um, a couple of years ago. And what ended up happening with that was I sort of couldn't get around, lost the ability to walk without help, got down to 128 pounds. It was a, it was a rough time. Um, and comics had always been like this safe space in my life ever since I was a kid. And so at the end of the day, working through that process and those physical difficulties, no matter how hard it was, I could come back at the end of the day and I could escape, you know, I could get out of a body that felt like it was foreign and had like failed me in that at that moment. Um, and it was a place for me to just go away. So that's how I sort of reconnected with it a couple of years ago. Um, and two, as opposed to movies, because I mean, I enjoy films, you know, TV as much as anybody. 
but it, it's the same thing. Um, I don't want to just be entertained. I like looking at at something and, and being absorbed in it and be able to create more space with it myself, you know, in my head, um, rather than sort of preach to is the wrong word, but I don't need everything spelled out concretely. I like filling in those gaps. Um, it, you know, it's more of a mental exercise than just sitting there and absorbing something, you know, and, and I liken it to, um, I've called it like digestion, right? Um, where you're just consuming something or if you're like savoring something. And and that's the difference between the two for me. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I think like you said, what I was trying to say better, like there's implicit storytelling seems a lot more enjoyable because of that interactivity. You're trying to figure out you know, the implications of these things, whereas explicit uh, expository kind of preaching storytelling is like sort of getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer and it's just like oh man yeah uh, and i do find that more in in books and comics um i i will actually say the andor uh show it seems to be that way where um if you have you watched that show i i saw like 20 minutes of it and things have been so crazy with trying to move i yeah 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 it seemed the first couple of episodes seemed to be like, um, like they're not giving you anything that you don't absolutely need. And, and it, I thought, I, I thought that it felt really nice to, um, to not, not know really, uh, the details, but of course, following the character in the plot, it works, but, but that, that was really nice a return to that kind of <laughs> implicit storytelling. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's why, um, and boy, man, we'll, we may get some comments off this if we we get into Star Wars territory, but like, you know, Rogue One was by far my my favorite all-time mm-hmm. movie um, because I think it was such a departure in that way from anything else that the franchise has done. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. I don't I don't always need happy endings. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you read much of the expanded universe stuff in Star Wars? I have not. No, it felt it felt a lot like a extended or expanded universe uh, story um, that Rogue One, and I I think there are a lot of um, yeah, those not not as well tied up um, or as happy endings in in the stories. It felt it did feel really nice to um, get sort of get off the uh, Skywalker track and um, investigate and see the rest of the galaxy yeah i'll have to check them out i've had them recommended by by friends for for years and you know it's just always a matter of time time always seems to slip away so um well my last question is kind of about the the hustle of being a creative um it's the way i always wrap up my reviews now i mean they can't see it but my hat says hustle right so we have a lot of the listeners of the podcast who either work in the comics field or are, are aspiring to someday so kind of as a professional getting paid to do this you're a professional like you you know right we you can call yourself a professional i know some people have like imposter syndrome like you're a professional you do this so what is is a nugget of wisdom to kind of ex- inspire or support them from your own experiences hmm. well i will say i don't want to just retread territory but i will say um i <clears throat> dark horse gave me a a, a very small uh, advance uh, and I'm grateful for it. Um, but it, it was absolutely not, uh, livable. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, my wife is a graphic designer and illustrator and we've been married about nine years and there's never been a point in which I've made more money than her. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's, it's, and I was doing well in, in illustration, I think. But then switching over to comics was just like, you know, I just plummeted off of making any money. Yeah. So, uh, but I think the reason I did that and felt comfortable doing that and the reason she felt comfortable with me doing that is because I do think that there is a market for good storytelling. And I think uh, if you can just finish a, a good story, um, someone will buy it. Uh, someone will will publish it. Um, one that uh, is 
interactive and talking to uh, humanity, to, to an audience. Um, and so, so it's got to have universal themes in it. Um, it has to have core realities, I think. Um, and uh, it has to look good. Um, and so I think, I think really what I would say is, you know, time, time is going to be uh, your, your most precious like commodity. And um, if you have time, uh, really spend it learning how to, how to draw and how to write. Um, and uh, if, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you have a, a supportive partner, uh, or, or, or even parents, like I've recommended some people like stop paying rent if you can't afford it, move in with your parents, you know, work out something with them and, um, and really get, get down to, to business. Um, yeah. So hustling, I mean, hard work, but then also trying to, you know, trying to, trying to find that, that overhead in which you can, you know, that roof over your head in which you can hustle in the right direction. Um, I think, I think is the most important thing that you can, you can find. Um, and it's hard to find, but, but try to find it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Joe death and the, the graven image is excellent. I hope we've done a good job here of pitching it without obviously giving too much away. Um, it's certainly one of the most original takes I've seen in quite some time. And I feel like you've got a hit on your hands if we can just get it in front of enough people. And I hope everybody out there listening has heard more than enough so that they're out there ordering it now. So as a, as a big fan of anything and all things folklorish, if that's actually a word, it's right up my alley. And it's been a pleasure having Benjamin on today to hear more about it. Thanks so much, Byron. It was, it was so fun to talk about. Yeah. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.